Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Well, good morning again, and welcome to each and every one of you to Rolling Hills Community Church. I'm so honored that you are here with us today. I'm Jason. For those of you who have not had a chance to say hello to yet or to meet in person, and it is such a joy to have you here with us. I come this morning bearing greetings from 130 pastors in the Amazon jungle. So I got back last night from spending a week in Brazil uh, serving with our Justice and Mercy International Jungle Amazon Pastors Conference. It's a conference that we do two times a year, next year three times a year, to train and equip pastors from the massive reach of the Amazon jungle. And I come this morning to tell you, God is on the move in the world. If you did not know that, if you think that God's only on the move here, God is on the move everywhere. And we get to be a part of that. And so I want to say thank you, church, for your connection to that. It's because of your generosity. It's because of your service. It's because of your prayer that those things happen. And I am just so filled up this morning because I see what God is doing. And I see these men and women who serve so faithfully in circumstances that are so difficult and and, and unfathomable for us to understand sometimes. But yet their stories of faith and their stories of joy and their stories of hope and their desire to take the gospel to a world that does not know Jesus, men and women that are translating the scriptures into indigenous languages that have no access to the gospel, and you and I get to be a part of equipping them and empowering them and praying for them. If that doesn't get you excited, nothing else that I'm going to say today is going to get you excited. Isn't it awesome that we get to be a part of that, that we get to be a part of sharing the gospel globally and sharing the gospel here locally? And so thank you guys for being the church. Thank you for being a place that realizes that the church is not a building, but the church is the body of Christ living out their mission, being faithful to the call that God has placed on each of our individual lives. And so I'm just honored that we get to be a part of that together this morning. Now, from time to time, uh, people bring you messages that, that you may not want to hear. Uh, have you ever had those people that deliver you a message that you just don't want to hear? You're waiting for a flight and a gate agent tells you that your flight has been delayed. That happened to me last night. The last thing that you ever want to hear is that you're going to be delayed. Why? Because you have somewhere you want to be. And wherever you want to be, you think is more important than all 230 other people. And so it's just the real realization. You have somewhere you want to be. Maybe you have a, a contract on a house. And your realtor delivers you some bad news. Your offer was not accepted and someone else got the house. It's bad news. Or maybe your doctor gives you a diagnosis and that diagnosis kind of reads to you as bad news or it's hard to hear. Or your mechanic tells you it's going to take $1,000 to repair your car. And you're thinking to yourself, I did not have that in my budget right now. We've all been there, haven't we? Where someone delivers you some news That's bad. In each of those cases, though, it's easy to get really frustrated with the messenger. But in the reality, most of those instances is they're just delivering the news to you that someone else told them to deliver to you. 
the gate agent didn't cancel the flight. He just was responsible for telling you that it was delayed. It was some other instance. Because we live in a really broken and a sinful world where our bodies decay and where this side of heaven we still have illnesses, it's not your doctor that caused you to have cancer, but it's her job to relay that information to you and to share with you a treatment plan for that disease. Enter the job of a pastor. I love my job. I spent all last week working with other pastors. I love every pastor here in Nolansville. We have some of the most fantastic men and women who serve our local churches here in Nolansville. Fantastic churches. I love every church in this community and consider some of my dearest friends the pastors that, church, that, that pastor our congregations here in Nolansville. And I pray for each of our churches, and I hope that you do as well, because we're all the same team. We're not, you know, competing against each other. I want every church in this community to succeed and grow and reach people for Christ. I encourage young men and women that want to pursue a call to ministry to jump in feet first with that. But I also make no bones about it that the responsibility that I have as a pastor and that all of our pastors have shouldn't be entered into lightly, because it is to help equip you, the people of God, for good works. And the Bible is the primary source that we depend upon for that equipping. And let's be honest, there are some texts in the Bible that are hard for us to understand. But there's also some texts in the Bible that are really difficult and complex for us to learn how to interpret and apply them to our life. And in fact, we've been in a book of the Bible this summer called Romans that has given us lots of opportunities to grapple with some hard text. I mean, if you're new with us today, let me catch you up as to what's happening in this book of the Bible called Romans. These are some of the core truths that we've had to grapple with, that in claiming to be wise, humanity has spiraled down a dark path of sin. And we have exchanged our love for God for a love for man-made idols and little g-gods. And the scripture tells us we're going to be held accountable for that. To the Jewish population, Paul said, you didn't get what Jesus was trying to teach you. And you missed that Jesus was the Messiah. And you can't be made right by law alone. You can't be made right just by following a bunch of rules. But it wasn't just the Jews. It was also the Gentiles, all of us. To all of the world, Paul says, you are broken, you all have sinned, and you all have fallen short of the glory of God. God has a standard for your life, and that standard cannot be reached by you. And because of that sin in your life, you deserve death. But because of the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel, you and I can be made right. How do we like to be made right? In our own methodologies. We, we think that we can be good enough to be right. But the book of Romans says, no, you can't be good enough. Those are some hard truths, aren't they? It's hard for us to fathom. It's hard for me to stand on a stage, as true as it is, to stand and look you in the eyes and say, you can never be good enough. And many of you have believed that lie your entire life, that I can be good enough to warrant what God can do for me, but yet you can't be. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says that God's demonstration of his love for us was that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's incredibly good news. We're more than conquerors, is what the book of Romans says. But the book of Romans is also intermixed with hard messages, and messages that, that we're wondering, how, how am I supposed to grapple with that? What am I supposed to do with that? And as we set our sights on Romans chapter 13 today, it's one of those texts that is extremely relevant for us, but sometimes it's one of those texts that we kind of say, uh, that's probably only to do with the first century people, so I don't want to read it, because it doesn't really have any implications for me, whereas it's the farthest thing from the truth. 
God wants us to grapple with this truth this morning, and I'm excited for us to journey in that together. So if you have a Bible, open with me to Romans chapter 13. You're going to see these words up here on the screen. A number of them are printed there for you on your worship guide. But Romans chapter 13 is, is kind of this interjection that Paul gives us, who was the writer of this letter. It's a letter to the churches in Rome, hence the name Romans. That's the people who live in Rome. And so it's a letter to the church in Rome. And he addresses a topic here that's very interesting and that doesn't really um, have have, have any other kind of handles in the book of Romans. It's just this one chapter that addresses a topic that's really relevant and it's extremely relevant for us today. So pick up with me in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do what right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servant, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe to them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, just in case you need the three-sentence description of what I just read, of what Paul is saying here. Here goes. Everyone, that is you and me, by the way, are subject to the governing authorities, i.e., our government, because our government and our leaders are established by God for our good, and we are to submit to them as a matter of conscience, and you are to pay taxes. Thus saith the Lord. Shall I repeat that to you? Everyone, that's me and you, we're subject to our government because our government and our leaders are established by God for our good, and we are to submit to them to a matter of conscience, and you have to pay taxes. And at first glance, some of you read this chapter and you think to yourself, I have no issues with that at all. And then there's someone else that heard what I read and said, those are fighting words. I'm supposed to submit to the government. Why would Paul add this to this letter? We've got to start there because most biblical scholars would agree that Paul has added this to this letter because he knew that this letter would eventually make its way to the hands of the governing authorities of the day who were the Roman emperors. He knew that this letter would make its way into the hands of guys like Nero and guys like Caligula, guys who are Roman emperors of the day. And what most biblical scholars would believe is that Paul included this to show them that the church had no ambition to overthrow the government. The church was not in a place, in a position where they were going to try to supersede the government. The church was not coming in to wield this big sword. Jesus was not ushering in a way of living where he said, we're going to fight off the government. We're going to fight off the attackers. In fact, what did Jesus do? He told his very disciples to turn the other cheek. When Peter pulled out a sword to come by force, Jesus said, put your sword away. We are not coming to overthrow the local authorities. 
Rather, Paul says, we are to usher in a message of love because love is what conquers all, which interestingly enough is what Paul immediately follows this obey the government talk with. He says, obey the government, and then he goes right into verses 8 through 10. Let's pick back up. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, Summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So what is Paul doing here? Paul is trying to get the church to understand what they're really about. And he's saying, what you're really about, church, is you're not about mutiny. (laughs) You're not about grandstanding. You're not about ushering in by force. But as an aside, which we will unpack here in just a little bit, Do not think for one moment that Rome loved the church. Don't think for one moment that these Roman emperors were in the back pockets of Christian leaders like Paul. There was no love. In fact, there was deep frustration for the local church. In the first century church, it was operating in places like Rome where standing up for Jesus was a literal death sentence. There was so much more persecution than 99.9% of us have ever faced in our life, which is really important for us to understand when Paul says to obey the governing authorities. He's not saying obey the governing authorities because they love Jesus or obey the governing authorities because they're here to make the, the church successful. As Pastor Mike highlighted last Sunday in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, you're, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there's this message that Paul says to not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Paul says you're in the world, but you're not to look like the world. You're in the world, but you're not to be conformed by the world. You're to look different. You're to understand your role in it. And out of the gate, Paul says, you are to be subject to the government. And this is what we need to remember. In fact, I give you notes every week where you can kind of follow along and you can fill in some of these blanks, maybe reflect upon this later. And I hope and pray that you'll write this down because we've got to remember this. Every governing authority is established by God, regardless of your feelings towards said authorities. (laughs) Shall I repeat that? Every governing authority is established by God regardless of your feelings towards all of those authorities. Go back to verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. I love to talk about the sovereignty of God. Because when I talk about the sovereignty of God, that's a really fancy way for saying God is in control of everything. God is in control of everything. Nothing happens without the foreknowledge. Nothing happens without God being the driving force behind that. God is in charge. God holds everything together. You are not here by accident. Your life is not an accident. There's nothing, there's no person in power in any local, federal, state, national, international seat that is not there by the sovereignty of God. You can't claim that God is sovereign when you like the guy in office 
And you can't claim that that God is not sovereign when you don't like the gal who is in office. And that's true for every country in the world, for every municipality, for every local government. That's true in Hungary. That's true in Brazil. That's true in the United States of America. And that's true right here in little old Nolansville. All of those people are there as no surprise to God. In fact, they have been established by God. Does that make perfect sense in your mind? No. Does that make perfect sense in our finite minds? Probably not, but it doesn't have to. And what Paul says, though, is when you rebel against those authorities, you're rebelling against what God has instituted. And ultimately, these are Paul's words, not mine. The word of God, I should say, not even Paul's, you bring judgment on yourself. There's laws in our country, and there's laws in the word of God. One of the laws that's in our, in our nation and one of the laws that's here in the word of God is that you can't steal things. It's a law of the land, but it's also a law of God. You'll be punished for doing that, not only in the eyes of God because it's sin, but you'll also be punished for that in the eyes of government because you can't drive away with your neighbor's car and just say, I want that, and so therefore I'm going to steal that. And so Paul says, if you want to be free from the vengeance that comes from doing the wrong things, then obey the authorities. And those authorities are over us as servants for our good, according to verse 4. But those authorities can also bring punishment to the wrongdoer. The government bears responsibility of so many things, and the government bears responsibility for so many things which are for our good. Let me give you a couple examples. I, for one, sleep really well at night, knowing that if at 2 a.m. I have an emergency and I call 911, that it's going to be a matter of minutes before an EMT shows up at my house. That makes me sleep better at night. We, as our family, are big library people. Are there other library people here? I mean, I, I love the local library, and we go all the time. I mean, we have like 88 books checked out all the time, and I mean, we're getting them from everywhere. And I, I love the local library. It's a, it's a novel concept. You go in, and you tell them the book that you want, and you get it for free. But not really, because it's the local government. It's the authority. It's, it's the government that makes that available to you. You could, make a, you could make an argument that some of our roads need to be widened, but I'm thankful that we have them, and I'm thankful that they're paved, and I'm thankful that they're striped and that they, you know, stay maintained. If your kids go to public schools, you have the government to thank for that. And according to God, the government, it's instituted by him, And it bears the responsibility to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. See, that's our judicial system. Now, are all of those institutions perfect? Absolutely not. But the government bears those responsibilities. And Paul says that we have a responsibility to do what? To submit to that. Go back to verse 5. In verse 5, he says, Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscious. And I just said a word that we do not like to hear. And it's that word, it sounds so bad for a lot of us. It's that word submission. But in reality, as you see here on your notes, the idea of submission is very unpopular in the world's eyes, but it's central to the life of a disciple of Jesus. The idea of submission is very unpopular in the world's eyes, but it's central to the life of a disciple of Jesus. I mean, a central theme of Romans is built on my submission to the Lord. 
opposed to myself. If you're married, marriage is all about submission to one another. That's in Ephesians chapter 5, another of Paul's writings. If you have children, children are to submit to their parents and honor their parents. For those of you that are parents, highlight that verse and leave your Bible open so that your kids can see it laying around the house. That children are to submit to their Lord. If your kids can't read yet, have them commit that verse to memory. You know, children are to honor their Lord and they are to submit their parents and they are to submit to their parents. We don't like to be told to submit to anything though, do we? Why? Because we like to be in charge. It's at the heart of our carnal desire. I want to be my own authority. I want to worship what I want to worship. But I seek to submit to authority, not only so that I avoid getting a speeding ticket. (laughs) It's one of the reasons that you submit to local authorities, because you don't want to get a speeding ticket. But Paul says, I also submit to authority as a matter of conscience, meaning it's the right thing to do. I want my children to do the right thing. I have two beautiful children. I want them to do the right thing, but I don't want them to do the right thing just so that they avoid my discipline. But I want them to do the right thing, even if they don't understand why, because when they do the right thing, even when they don't understand why, their character is strengthened and their perspective is broadened. And I believe the same thing will happen to us. In fact, I believe that when your guy or your gal is not in office, you may be surprised how much your faith and understanding of God's sovereignty grows because that gives you an opportunity to pray more than you criticize. And it gives you an opportunity to get involved more than standing on the sidelines and shouting. I believe if you're known more for your harsh criticism of government or your tacit approval of government than you are for your prayers for those who are in our elected seats, then I believe we have missed a huge portion of how God yearns for us to interact with the government. Did you know that scripture tells us very, very clearly that we are to pray for those who are in office? Not just the ones that we're happy that are there. We're to pray for those who are in authority over us. Not just the one I voted for, but for all of those in power. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 3. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. See, it pleases the Savior when I pray for kings who are in authority. But what if I don't like the king? Tough. I don't get the privilege of saying I'm going to go through life and only do what I want to do. Hence why we struggle with submission. Because we don't like to do things that we don't want to do. Now, all the way back to the first century, and I teased this for you a little bit, all the way back to the first century, because this has a local context. This was not just written for the United States of America. This actually had a local context that it was to be delivered to, and that was the city of Rome. And It is so important for us to understand what's happening in first century Rome. And so please write this down. First century Rome was far from a Christ-centered empire. Sometimes it would make us believe, oh, Paul says, submit to the governing authorities because Rome was in love with Jesus. And all of the leaders in Rome were in love with Jesus and therefore submit to them. Rome was far, 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 far 
from a Christ-centered empire. If you ever want your mind royally blown, uh, take a deep dive into some of the Roman emperors of the first century. If you've ever done that, uh, you will be blown away at how vile and how evil some of these men were so immoral, so corrupt. Let me share with you a few examples. There's Caligula. And Caligula was the Roman emperor from 37 to 41. And he killed whoever he wanted to kill for absolutely no reason. He murdered his own father. He murdered his grandmother. He murdered his father-in-law, his brother-in-law, countless others. So many other things that are so vile to even say in a public setting because there are young ears in this room. Caligula loved horses. He even promoted one of his own horses to Senate. He had a horse that he loved so much that he gave it a seat in the Senate. It had a vote. The horse could vote for what he wanted to see happen with the well-being of Rome. This is what's happening in the first century. And then you have Nero. Nero, who was the emperor from 54 to 68, probably the most vile of all murdered his wife, his mother. He taxed the people so heavily to build his own palaces. And let's don't forget that you might remember right around that time that Rome, Rome was destroyed by a fire. And many people believe that it was Nero that actually set Rome on fire and he watched the city burn and then he blamed the Christians for setting Rome ablaze. Many of them were crucified. Many first century Christians were crucified for setting Rome ablaze. But most scholars believe that it was Nero himself that was behind this act. See, this is not a government that was pro-Jesus. They were as far from supporting the teachings of Jesus as we have ever seen. And what Paul is saying is obey those authorities. Nero is saying, I'm going to crucify you for something that I actually did. And I can see it in some of your faces because the struggle is real. It's the same struggle that I have as I've been studying through this and I've been preparing through this. I don't struggle to obey the government when they're paving my road. I don't struggle to, pay, uh, to obey the government because of a, a social security check that I might get or that you might get. I'm supposed to submit, I get it. I'm supposed to pray, I get it. But here's the tension that we must battle. Because we have to submit to God first and then governing authorities second, meaning that at times, and see this here on the screen, there are times when your submission to God may be in direct contradiction to governing authorities. What then? <laughs> there may be times when your submission to God is in direct contradiction to the governing authorities. What then? We have to go there, don't we? We have to go there. This is where this gets really, really difficult because I'm fine submitting to the government, but what about when there is some law or there's some institution or there's something that goes against what I know God wants me to do or what is clearly outlined in Scripture? We have to go there because the Bible goes there. In Acts chapter 5, Peter, in front of the Sanhedrin, what was Peter told to do? He was told, do not proclaim the name of Jesus anymore. And if you proclaim the name of Jesus anymore, you are going to be put to death. What does Peter say in Acts chapter 5, verse 29? Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. 
In Daniel chapter 6, King Darius puts out this decree that you are to pray to no one except Darius for the next 30 days. And if you do that, you're going to be thrown into a lion's den. How did Daniel respond? Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. In Esther chapter 5, Esther knew that it was punishable by death to approach King Xerxes if you weren't summonsed. But she knew that God had called her to save her people. So what does she do? Esther chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and she stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. See, there are times back then and there are times now when governments do not fulfill the God-given responsibility that was established and that was given to them by God. But they place disciples of Jesus or followers of God in a situation where their obedience would be in direct opposition to the standard that God had set. And in those instances, you certainly see biblical precedent for following God. Now, does that mean that there may be times that I have to do the same? Yes. There may be times when you say my submission to God supersedes submission to authority. Back in Romans chapter 13, I find it so interesting that Paul uses Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 22 for us to understand this. Go back to chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, if revenue. If respect, respect. If honor, honor. Why? Because it's for the common good. And we are to submit to that. That's why you pay taxes. Interestingly enough, in our day, we actually do get something for the taxes that we pay. Whereas in that day, they were patting the pockets of emperors that were appointing horses to senate seats. I mean, that's where your taxes were going back in the first century. But in Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees try to catch Jesus up because he's, he's referencing Matthew 22 here. And so they try to catch Jesus up and they ask Jesus about taxes. And they say, should we pay taxes? And I want you to listen to Jesus' response. He says, show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is on this? Whose inscription Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, so give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God's what is God's. It's a huge question that Jesus is asking the Pharisees and his disciples. Whose image is on the coin? And they say Caesar's image is on the coin. And Jesus says, then give to Caesar what is Caesar because his image is there. Hold that thought. Hold that phrase, image, in your mind. Because when he says, give to God what is God's, who is in the image of God? Who is created in the image of God? Who is the image bearers of God? It's you and it's me. It's not horses. It's not mountains. It's not oceans. Those things are not created in the image of God. They are made by God, but you and I are image bearers. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, meaning I'm an image bearer of God, meaning you're an image bearer of God. 
the animals, the institutions are established by God, but image bearers of God, that is uniquely us. That is uniquely you. And so when Jesus says, give to Caesar, what is Caesar? Because his image is on that coin, but give to God what is God's. The image bearers of God is you, and that is me. That's your life. And so when you give your life to following God, when you give your life to following his precepts, when you give your life to following his words, there's going to be times when you simply have to say, I am an image bearer of God. And when I give my life to God as a sacrifice of praise, when I give my life to God, if there is something that I am being asked to follow or I'm being asked to submit to that does not fit with the authority of being created in the image of God, then I will be held accountable if I don't follow God first. And the governing authorities will also be held accountable when they don't fulfill their God-given duty that was established by God. But if you walk away from today's message saying, you know what I heard the pastor say? I just heard the pastor say I can be disobedient to anything I want because it supersedes what I believe in my heart. I hope and pray that you don't walk away today saying I can be disobedient to anything that I want, but I do hope and pray that you walk away saying there are times when I can be civilly disobedient not because I want to make a huge stand, not because I'm trying to get clickbait and trying to get a lot of likes on Instagram, not because I can make myself known and I can grandstand, and not because I can make life all about me, because if that's what your motivation for objecting to something is all about, then my hope and my prayer is that you would grapple with what follows in verses 8 through 10. Are you actually doing that out of love? Are you actually doing that out of a deep commitment and a deep abiding love for Jesus Christ and a deep abiding love for others? Because as you see here on your notes, above all, love of God and love of others, that's actually the greatest mark of a heart changed by Christ. Love of God and love of others is the greatest mark of a heart changed by Christ. Back to verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Is love for God what really drives me? Is it a love for his word? Is it a love for his precepts that drives me? And if I'm in that deep relationship with him, then I know that following him sometimes puts me in opposition to authority. Then through prayer, you see it's tied very closely to prayer. It's not just an idea that I have, but it's tied very, very closely to prayer, very, very closely to petitions, a very, very close adamant following of the Holy Spirit that there are times when I have to say what I know God has created me to do or who God has created me to be or what God has instituted has to take precedent over submission to that authority. And Paul concludes this part by saying that there is a day that Jesus is coming for his second return and that we have to be ready. We don't look like the world, the world whose authorities we're supposed to submit to. We don't conform to that world, but... We also don't gratify the desires of the flesh, but rather it says in verse 14, we clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and we don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And so a question that I pray you're asking yourself 
is do I continually seek to please Christ in all of my attitudes, in all of my actions, and in all of my responses? Or am I seeking to please everyone else? Because if I'm seeking to please everyone else, I'm truly missing the mark. And so as we close today, I want to encourage each and every one of you to realize that there is a reason that God has established the authorities of this world the way that he has. I may not always understand. I may not always agree with it. I may not always like it. But he has established the authorities because of his sovereignty for a plan and purpose that we may not ever understand. And I get that we live in a world where evil is rampant. I get that we live in a world where half of you may like the person in office and half of you may not like the person in office. Half of you may think that a certain leader or a certain type of government may be more sympathetic, less sympathetic, but do you know what we sometimes forget? What we sometimes forget is that the church prevails in the end. Did you know that? What we sometimes forget is that the church prevails in the end. Did you know that we're told in Scripture that the gates of hell do not prevail against the church? The gates of hell do not prevail against the bodies of believers, the local church. I mean, how was the first century church growing in Rome? Riddle me that. How was the first century church growing in an area where there were crucifixions happening for people who were not committing crimes at all. Tell me how the church was growing in that area. The church was growing in that area because our guy is sovereign. Jesus, the Lord, he is sovereign over all. And so regardless of how difficult or easy it might be for me to submit to those authorities, the church has thrived in many different places in many different junctures in history, with many different political parties in charge. You may be surprised to actually know that in countries where Christianity is growing the fastest, in countries where Christianity is growing in the most rapid scale, or in some of the areas where Christians are facing the most obstacles and the most challenges with the governing authorities over them. The early church did not have the privilege of people in power supporting them. In fact, their guy, their leader, the Savior of the world, was crucified. So we recognize every president, every commissioner, every senator, every mayor, every human king as a person established by God. But let's not forget who put them there, our king, who is sovereign And may you and I live a life of love. May you and I live a life of prayer. And may you and I live a life as the citizens of heaven that he has called us to be living here on this earth, taking advantage of every opportunity that we have, pointing people to Jesus Christ, sharing the hope and the love of Jesus Christ with a world that's broken, with a world that's hurting, and seizing every opportunity to say, God loves you. God has an incredible plan for your life. God has not abandoned you. God seeks to restore you. God knows you. He loves you. I love you. And I hope and pray that you find that peace and that joy that only he can offer. 
Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.